Hey, welcome back to part two of Kristen Kalina, our conversation. Let's get into it. And before we do, hey, I said it the last time, it's important. We hear a lot that people want more positive things in their feed. We think we have a pretty positive thing. If you think it's a pretty positive thing, the way people can get it in their feed is by you liking it, sharing it, hey, leaving us a comment or a review and telling us how great or awful it is and what you want to improve. But we want the interaction and we appreciate it as well. We appreciate the journey that you've been on with us and go on to this next episode. Every single time, uh, the person that was the guest would say, I don't know if I'm creative enough to do this. I don't, I don't know if, if I'm going to do this right. And to see them then actually go through the experience of playing the game itself and what that opened up for them and the creativity, as you, as you said, was just astronomical. And every single one was like, when can I play again? I want to do this again. So really is a, a common ground thing um, that our minds do limit us, our self-confidence limits us in what we can do. And the good news is that games are for everyone and fun is for everyone. And uh, there's always a way to help others to find that connection within themselves, within their communities. One of the last things you were talking about was knowing your children. And while I would like to believe everybody does, I'm pretty sure everybody doesn't. Like some people are busy, aloof, not that in touch with themselves or people around them. And I think that's okay. Don't understand different personality differences in general, right? Yeah. And I'm kind of hearing this narrative of community. Oh, the, the kind of one of the underlying things I'm kind of hearing is like assembling a team, whether or not it's homeschool or your kids are at school. And even you said like taking a class at MIT, like it, it was a mixture of things. And like, I just noted, like, I'm going to find the homeschool community here in LA because I've actually heard some really cool things about it. And one of the things that we get stuck with is like doing the same things over and over because we're tired, working too much. And it's just like, I'm just going to do this versus somebody might be like, hey, there's this cool surfing group that you can go hit on Saturdays with kids. Like, oh, dope. I didn't know that was there. And I think what I'm hearing is like, you can kind of, it's almost like work. You can outsource and or delegate the things that you're not great at. So like I hear the exact, like I understand, I know what executive function is and what kind of problems it can cause, but I don't necessarily know how it will present, especially in a child. And I know, actually, I know that I've seen it in adults and just been frustrated and not even thought that maybe they have a problem with executive function. That's why they can't like handle these steps. I'm like, I just gave you the steps. Like just do the thing, man. <laughs> Just do the damn mm-hmm. thing. And they're like, mm-hmm. they can't, they just literally can't do it. And, but having someone who's trained as a teacher, teacher child, and then like, that's where those parent teacher interactions become so important. Cause it's like, they're part of the team. Like they're part of the crew that can help give you that intel. So then you can adjust or find a style that's going to reach your child. So I really like this narrative that that I'm hearing and, you know, finding what you're best at, finding what they need, what they're best at, and then whatever way works for your family, for your unit. It might be homeschooling. Some people can't homeschool. They've got to both work or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, in in the U.S., the majority of homeschoolers are uh, two income or like a single income. Like they, you have to be able to live on one spouse's income. I think there are some parents who kind of try to bridge the gap by doing, you know, mom does something at night or part-time. And I mean, you can make that work, 
but it's, it's tricky and it kind of depends on the age of your child. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's a huge thing, but most homeschoolers have two parents, uh, and most of them are white or of, of means. And actually the, the funny thing about homeschooling is that there's a, which this surprised me, and this is why I'm mentioning it. There was a study recently within the last couple of years that homeschoolers actually oftentimes do better than their in-school counterparts up until the point of, uh, that income levels reach a particular point. And I don't know what that is off the top of my head, but wealthy kids that could afford like a private school, homeschoolers can't compete with that because there's more opportunity, the more money that folks have, um, up on the upper levels of, of income that families have. So it's not necessarily age related. Like is that, is that study saying like private school from a very early age will outperform homeschooling at the same age? Yeah, it's a it's a whole different world because pe- folks that can afford um, really expensive private schools that kind of really speak to certain interests, there's a competition level that I can't even imagine getting into in my with my own family. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's another piece I, for high school. Actually, I went to a couple of private schools growing up, but like my high school was like hyper competitive used to be like uh, in kind of like a feeder school for like high-end colleges and whatnot. And it's like, what I noticed is the conversations that my peers were having with their parents were just like, like they were at dinner talking about like the surgeries the day before and going through medical books and like just the, so the overall collective knowledge was just in a different place than when I was in public school or so I think that plays in. And then there's also what I'm noticing here from some of the private schools in LA is you compound that and then you compound the social network and like the opportunities that then come out of that, where it's like your parents might be a surgeon, but my parents might be sports agents, but that's what you're interested in. It's like, oh, well, come hang out with us and then you can see what they do or you can go to work with them. Whereas you're not going to necessarily get that opportunity at a public school or at mm-hmm. home. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it's just a whole different social network <laughs> than all yeah. different, good and bad. And public schools, <laughs> a lot of the times, public schools, you're also dealing with kids that are coming from all different kinds of backgrounds. So some public school teachers are more worried about, does this kid have a warm jacket to wear? Has he had breakfast? You know, does he have shoes that fit his feet? Um, because if you're not comfortable and there's nothing in your belly, then you have a really hard time learning. And so public schools have to kind of accommodate for all these different things, kids with special needs that maybe are, are more challenging, integrating them into a school setting. Um, there's so many more things that public schools have to worry about. Uh, so, you know, in some cases, like I said, homeschooling is, is a better option. Or if that's just how your family vibes, like you might just have that, you know, kind of relaxed, you know, atmosphere in your family. I mean, it gets into the argument of quality of life. What does that actually mean? Is quality of life the most money I can make? Or is it being able to explore and do things that matter to me that may not make me as money? But in one area, I might be able to explore the things that matter to me because I'm not in a competitive environment where I have to follow this path in order to succeed the way that I'm told to succeed. And, you know, and I, I love the, the idea of the community as well, because that is a way to overcome those Bobby or Brenda over here have a doctor as a mom and my kid wants to learn more about medicine. I'd like to expose them to that. And I think that's pretty good. 
Well, just one more thing on this. One of my mentors is, does this brilliant, brilliant, brilliantly. Oh my God. I <laughs> His daughters are in public school and he owns a company. So he just, he, he couldn't homeschool them if he wanted to. However, he does this really cool thing where he's, he's just got like friends. He's got friends that are artists in lofts in Compton. He's got friends that own tech companies like him. He's got friends that are pilots. And so when he goes to visit them, he takes his girls. And but he has a conversation with them prior and after like, all right, we're going to go visit Johnny. Johnny's an artist. He's chosen to live in, do an art, be an artist. Notice how he lives. Like notice he's got a loft with five people. And this is the kind of space. This is the kind of life that he lives. And um, under like, feel his vibe, like feel his energy. Like, is he happy? Is he not happy? Is he stressed? Is he struggling? Compare it to how we live and what you see me do and figure out what's going to work for you in your life versus him being like, you need mm -hmm. yeah, so you can make the most. Yeah. Those parents, whether they're homeschooling parents or private school parents or public school parents, anybody who has that kind of attitude toward what's around them and the community and kind of what, what's going on with their kids, their kids can only benefit from that. You know, I think what, what we did a lot was we did a lot of travel. Um, in fact, we just, <laughs> My, my, my youngest is 19 now and he wants to be a novelist. He wants to write, which is ironic because when he started homeschooling, he couldn't read, but now he's, he's, he wants to be a writer and this is what he wants to do. So he's been stuck in the house for the last two years, you know, pretty much, you know, this, he, he's been going to college, but obviously that's all online. And, and we live in a really small uh, town, very kind of insular little tiny little town in, in Massachusetts. So we we just uh, bought a place in, in Branson, Missouri, where my sister is, and I needed to go out and, and get some things done out there. So he, I took him with me and we did kind of an epic road trip across the United States to the Midwest. Um, and by the second, like he was really nervous, like the first like day or so. And then he was like, oh, like this is just like fine. Like you just do your thing. And, and he was like, he gets very anxious about like, the world being kind of a big and scary place, which I remember feeling also when I was 19. And, and it just kind of opened his mind and allowed him to relax and have and enjoy these different experiences. And now he's thinking about getting into photography and he's taking a photography class. And so we did a lot of that when they were little too. And that's just what worked for our family. So we kind of tried to find experiences and travel is a great one, whether you do it, you know, on your holidays or you do it for as, as a homeschooler travel really expands kids' minds because they get to see how other people live. So I think that that's so important. What your friend is doing, Rodney, is 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 just really showing that there's not just one life. There are so many different ways to live your life and you don't have to fit into one particular bucket to be uh, considered a success. Like you, the success is your happiness. And I think that's really important. You get one, one of them. None of us beat the end. That's, that's right. So, so. One other thing I want to touch on that's been, that was in here. Sorry, Keith. I keep saying one more yeah, thing. You but do. You, one yeah. more. I do. That's the second time I've, that's yeah. the second time I've done it. Yeah. Maybe I'll do it one more time. You had mentioned the expectations and anxiety that your son, your oldest son was feeling. And I think there's an important conversation here about emotional awareness and emotional intelligence and safety. Like, feeling safe will also affect your ability to learn oh, or lack thereof. Like to your point about if you're worried about food or your parents fighting or like, right. are we going to have heat tonight? Okay. Learning two plus two is the last thing 
hierarchy of needs, brain. right? Really is. Yeah. So that actually, I mean, this all really goes in. I actually thought you might transition with that question into the space you've created for mastermind adventures now that you are an entrepreneur and was it the homeschooling and going through this experience that gave you the idea to create mastermind adventures and if you could share with us what that actually is and what you do yeah 100 percent. actually it was so um as i've shared you know my kids had particular needs and and they were different than other people's needs. And so, you know, being plugged into the homeschooling community uh, gave us a lot of flexibility in how we tried to meet those needs. And one of the main things that people always talk about when it comes to homeschooling is there is social interaction, which is ironic because technically going to a public school, you're sitting at a table, you're not allowed to talk to your neighbor, you're not allowed to stand up, you're not allowed to, you know, it's probably less, less social but it's how people know that they made friends. And so they always kind of think about that as an, as an issue Uh, where we are, as I've already mentioned, we had no shortage of ability to meet up with other, other families, other friends, and also create spaces where they could come together. So it actually started um, right after not mastermind proper, what kind of the seed of mastermind was uh, when my oldest started, uh, started homeschooling and we were looking for ways for him to connect with others and stay in touch with the friends he had made at school. We started this Friday night Kalina game night thing that the kids still talk about. I've got all these 20 year olds like going, oh, remember when we did Kalina game night? And that's, that's kind of how it, it got started. So Kalina game night was a night of you know, kind of old school, 80s style Dungeons and Dragons, um, and then other games as well, and uh, and video games, and sometimes movie nights, and lots of running around outside with Nerf blasters, and kind of whatever they wanted to do. So, you know, the parents, we would all kind of hang out and play games and, and get together. And then the kids would all just run around and do different things and play games. And that's And that was every Friday for probably two years or more. Um, we just got them together. And then out of that uh, came this idea that, you know, we're in Massachusetts, so it's not always nice out. And how do we get them to kind of keep moving? Um, my younger son in particular was did not like any kind. Well, neither of my kids really like sports. We're not really sports people. But he was starting to get chubby and we wanted a way to get him moving. So we took those Kalina game night kids and we started a Friday night Nerf group. And so every Friday... We would get together. Kids would all bring their Nerf blasters. We kind of all chipped in for um, for Nerf darts. And then we started organizing different types of, of games. Um, and then word got out and it started to grow. And within uh, a couple of months, we had over 100 kids coming every single Friday to play Nerf blaster games. And it was in an indoor soccer field. So we didn't have to worry about the weather. And that was really the catalyst for, for that part of things. Um, and then because we started those Nerf games, we started to meet other people, other homeschoolers who just thought that this was great. This was a great way to get the kids together and socialize and and get them moving, which was a real <laughs> concern. And so that kind of branched into learning about live action role play and thinking about live action role play as a way to engage kids in some living literature and also get them into, you know, kind of these, these spaces that we could create for them to do some really different sorts of games and interaction. 
So the first thing that we put together was a Percy Jackson inspired um, program called Camp Half-Blood. Um, and it was just like this huge epic field day event. We had uh, we had organized it just for homeschoolers the very first year. And I was nervous that we would have like 20 kids. I was like, oh, I hope we can get, you know, at least 20 kids to come because then we'd have like enough kids to play the different games and they can go do the little like solve the mystery that we set up. And um, and we had 175 kids show up for that. And so that was a huge kind of aha moment that, hmm, maybe this is something more than just a hobby. Maybe we should think about how to organize this in a way that makes sense as a business. So that was really how that started. I We organized other types of events that were like that, and they were just so popular. We'd have kids coming up after these events that we would put together. I mean, just crying that it was like, this is the best thing I ever did in my whole life. And can I come back next week? And like this kind of thing. So we were like, okay, this is doing it's good for the community and it's good for us too. Cause we feel like we're doing, we're making a, a positive impact um, and, and giving these kids really something different that, uh, that really utilizes different sorts of uh, different types of skills that they may not otherwise, um, you know, be, be using. Quick question right there on, on that part, like that feedback, have you identified what it is about the live action role play or, or these different games that, connects with children and frankly adults like it does. Yeah, it's it's a concept called bleed. Sarah Lynn Bowman um, is the person who kind of identified and named uh, what it is. Um, she's a researcher, I believe, in Texas, uh, or at least she was when I first met her. Uh, we've become friends um, over the past few years, and I can't remember where she is now. Last I saw, she was in Norway. But anyway, this concept called bleed is actually... It happens whether you have intent behind it or not. And it can be a very negative thing if it's used kind of like if if you're not paying attention to how something like, might like politicians use it. Yeah. Well, any any kind of immersive experience, um, even if you're playing a character, you know this writing from Dungeons and Dragons, what that character experiences, even though you know in your head, like this is not me. Uh, it bleeds into you as a human being, even if that character is not really even like you, even if that character is something that's totally different, what they experience is what you experience. And so understanding that concept um, is actually part of how we developed our therapeutic tabletop role-playing game. But I can talk about that more more later, but that's that's actually what it is. Which is kind of why... I can think back, like I probably get together with the people I played my first campaign with. It's like, oh, you remember that time that we were in that room and the dude jumped up on the table and then you pulled it out. And then it's like, we're counting it as if we were yes. there. Yeah. Like in a room, like actually slaying a dragon when we were at a table. Yes, like that. absolutely. It's, it's, the theater of the mind is really powerful. And, and the other thing that, uh, the other concept, and I, I'm not remembering if it has a name or if, what it's called, but, but because you are creating this character who's going to kind of be your avatar and move around the world, that character can take risks that you can't take, right? You can, you can say, yeah, we're fighting a dragon because you know, you yourself, your body is safe. You're in a place, you're rolling dice. It's just, it's just your imagination. And specifically for kids, this is really powerful, especially for kids who um, have had trauma, uh, who have lived through some, some really crappy stuff they can be brave and be bold in a way 
that they might not be able to take that risk themselves because it's too scary because they've been hurt too much. Or they might be able to take a chance on something that they would otherwise not take a chance. Even if it's like a social interaction, you know, we, we, my co-worker, Evan, he's kind of like my co-pilot. He's a, he's a trauma specialist. Uh, He's a therapist and a trauma specialist. But he always brings up this, uh, this one instance that we had a kid that uh, decided to steal everybody's weapons in the party um, while they were asleep. And uh, the next day, you know, we, we, we have them wake up and, and Evan says, okay, so, you know, this is what happened while you were asleep. And they just like, were really upset with this kid that was the player that was like, oh, I, you know, he stole everything. And like, they're like, he's like, well, they know that, that you stole it. And he was like, oh, no, no, no. I was just keeping those safe and I'm going to give them all back to you now. So that was a risk that he took and he was able to take it and we allowed him to take that risk and then get that feedback in a very real the way, the consequence without it actually being him. Um, and so now if he was in a real situation, you know, he would, he would think twice about deceiving his friends or, or doing something crappy to his friends. And especially for kids with executive function or, or autism spectrum disorder, those types of experiences are so necessary to build their skills and to generalize their skills. You do a lot of kind of isolated practice of skills with kids on the autism spectrum, uh, or at least they did when, when my kids were young. Um, they were looking for like groups or ways that you could practice these skills, but it didn't help them generalize it to the real world where this tabletop role-playing games and other types of role-playing really allow them to take those risks experiment with something that might be kind of risky and not have to actually bear the consequence of that in in their real lives. So bleed, I did not know that was the thing, but I do have a bleed exercise that I use, especially like for really emotional games or like as I've gotten more into it and I, I feel more from my characters, I have an exercise I use to divest from that. But it's... uh. Oh, that's really cool. Thank yeah. yeah. What benefits in building this to kids have you seen? Well, the thing that comes to mind always is kind of that first group of kids that we started playing D&D with back when my son first started homeschooling. Um, and confidence was a huge one, you know, just self-confidence and the ability to to put themselves out there to be silly and to know who, who they were as people. I think friendship building is a huge one. I think that as kids go through either live action role play experiences or or tabletop role play experiences, having that camaraderie and the common goal really does bond people to each other. And especially with kids right before, literally right before the pandemic, it was the February vacation before the shutdown. We were running quests, the, the role playing game at a, a therapeutic center um, that's near my house. And one of the girls that came in, um, she was pretty affected. Like she was very, very, they don't use the terminology, high functioning, low functioning anymore. She was very verbal, but she was very one track mind. And I was actually a little bit worried that she would be able to, um, you know, manage uh, the the demands of a, of a role playing game table. And so I kind of, you know, I, I talked to her for a little bit and she kept asking me the same questions. And I was like, okay, I don't not sure how this is going to play out. And her grandmother asked me because her grandmother brought her, you know, what do you think? Is she going to be able to do this? And I was like, we're going to see. I think that, you know, I've been surprised before and I, I think we should 
take a chance and, and see. And if this group doesn't work, we'll try another group. Um, but I think we should give it a try. And the moment she sat down at the table, she was laser focused and she was the best role player. And she was the best at like thinking about what the other kids were doing and waiting her turn. She was on it. And what her mom said to me afterwards was like, this was the first time that she had ever been able to make friends, like actually talk about having real friends. And this girl was probably 14, 15 years old. There's something about sitting around a table and having that shared experience that is universal and it connects with kids at all different levels of functionality and uh, ability and disability, if you use that term. It's just really kind of ubiquitous in how it it affects people. You know, it's probably, um, so the bleed thing, I think the other concept, now that you mentioned that, it's, it's probably got to be the storytelling aspect. There's, there, I don't know if there's anything more human than our desi- desire to hear and tell stories. And like, we connect so naturally to them that sitting around telling a story with, five strangers or five friends, five strangers that are about to become friends <laughs> is just this <laughs> I mean, super cool experience. Um, you know, it's this, this funny thing that like our mind is our biggest limiter, no matter what, like we put more constraints on ourselves than anybody else. And going into these creative spaces gives us the opportunity to exercise that mind in a way that gives you an experience that seems so unreachable until you're in it. And then it's like, oh, that's no big deal. And um, like that's for all of us, let alone for those who, you know, are on the spectrum or are um, limited by further mental challenges or struggles that, uh, so I love what you're doing. How can people find you? I'm mastermindadventures.com uh, for sure. I'm on all of the different socials. Um, so yeah, or uh, Kristen at mastermindadventures.com uh, is my email address. We, we're very excited about the work that we're doing. Um, and uh, you mentioned, you know, your mind being the limiter. I think that um, one, one experience that really stood out to me is that we ran. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I taught my mom uh, how to play Dungeons and Dragons. And my aunt, uh, they're in their 60s. My mom's just about to turn 70 this year. We would have them bring friends. So it was my mom and my aunt, and and uh, and then they would bring friends. And I was not the dungeon master. It was Allie, who I think, Rodney, I don't know if you've met Allie. I think you did. No, you did. You ran a game for Allie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Allie. Allie was the dungeon master, and um, and we ran several episodes of this of this game that she that she created. And every time we had a guest come in, um, we would interview them and say, like, what are you looking forward to? What do you think? Do you know about Dungeons and Dragons? Because these are all their friends. You know, my mom calls them the baby boomer babes. And so they would come in and, and every single time, uh, the person that was the guest would say, I don't know if I'm creative enough to do this. I don't, I don't know if, if I'm going to do this right. And to see them then actually go through the experience of playing the game itself and what that opened up for them and the creativity, as you, as you said, Keith, was just astronomical. And every single one was like, when can I play again? I want to do this again. So really is a, a common ground thing um, that our minds do limit us, our self-confidence limits us, 
in what we can do. And the good news is that games are for everyone and fun is for everyone. And uh, there's always a way to help others to find that connection within themselves, within their communities. And I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a really good um, tie into what he just said. I, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us. I, we may possibly have to do it again because uh, there's more that we could, we could talk about, but our time has gone so fast. We've had fun here in this space together. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for giving us a little bit of your day and, your, and the listeners. Thank you guys so much. I, I had such a great time chatting with you and I can't wait to come back and chat more. Awesome. Well, I will give you our last question, which is what does compassion mean to you? Compassion. Oh, compassion is meeting people where they are and understanding uh, that they all have their own unique histories and journeys and backgrounds that are important. Uh, so being compassionate is is really trying to have that heart connection enough that you care about that person's background and what they've what they've been through and what they've gone through and and, and finding a way to connect.